let's turn to our passage this morning. So if you have your bulletin, you can turn over to page three. We'll pick up right where we left off in, in Numbers 22. If you've been with us, we've been studying through the book of Numbers. God's people been delivered out of Egypt, but they're not quite in the promised land. Uh, actually, the very specific context is quite helpful uh, with this passage because the people of God are, are traveling essentially the borderland of the, of the promised land. They're, they're just outside of it to the, to the east of the, uh, of the promised land. They've just, the chapter before, had two powerful victories by the hand of God over, over kings who attacked them. Uh, so Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, both defeated uh, by God's power working through his people. And it's that that actually uh, leads to the action of 22, chapter 22, because it's this other king, Balak, king of Moab, who hears about those great victories of Israel and starts to get really, really afraid. I'm next, he thinks. Uh, I'm next, he thinks. And that leads him to, uh, to this plan to hire this famous prophet Balaam to come and curse God's people. And we pick up with verse 22. Here is Balaam on his way to meet uh, King Balak uh, and take up this job that he's been hired to do. So verse uh, 22 but God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you strike me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword, sword, uh, with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes 
of Balak. Let's pray. Father, we, we do pray that you would use uh, this portion of your word uh, to instruct and to encourage uh, and to guide, the Lord, even us uh, who gather before it. We pray in Jesus' name. So Balaam and his famous donkey, one of the most famous stories in Numbers 22, one of the most hysterical stories in all of the Bible. But what does this have to do with you and me? You might remember those words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 10, where he says this period in the wilderness was all written down for us. That, that this, is, this is for our instruction. Okay, so, so what does that donkey have to do with me? I think we can get there by working our way through three different questions. And they're listed there in, in the bulletin as we work through the passage piece at a time. Uh, we're going to take up each of these questions in turn. What's your worry? What's your price? And what's your hope? And we'll see that this uh, humorous story has very much to do uh, with who we are and what our hope really is. So let's take them one at a time, beginning with the unknown threat and the question, what's your worry? So verses 1 to 6 describe the enemies of God's people, and they're, and they're lining up to oppose Israel. Uh, so you have here this the king of Moab, Balak, and he forms this alliance with other, uh, other rulers in the land. Uh, right? This is a military alliance. He's heard the, uh, the, the news that Israel has just powerfully defeated two other kings and their, their armies in the area. Uh, Balak is, is fearful that, that he and his people are next. So the first thing he does is connect with other leaders to form an alliance. They're the, the, the leaders of Midian. Uh, but then he quickly realizes that, that a conventional alliance is not going to be enough. A conventional warfare is not going to be enough. So he brings in the big guns. Uh, as one preacher calls it, he hires a weapon of mass destruction. He's got this plan to hire Balaam, uh, apparently who is quite famous. If you look at the, the place names that are given there, Balaam lives a quite a distance away, over on the Euphrates River. This is a long way away. His reputation is vast. He has this great reputation for being a prophet, a diviner, a wielder of spiritual power. Right? You notice how, how uh, the king describes him in verse 6. For I know he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. This guy has power. At least that's his reputation. Uh, and so Balaam is willing to pay whatever, or excuse me, Balak, the king, is willing to pay whatever it takes to hire this man and his power uh, to drop this curse upon God's people, Israel, thinking if he, he curses them and they're cursed, then the conventional armies can come and clean up the job. So, you get the picture. People of God, Israel, have these powerful, powerful enemies lining up against them. That's always been true, hasn't it? That God's people in every age uh, have had fierce, powerful enemies that have opposed and lined up against them. Uh, it's true in our day. And Paul reminds us in Ephesians 
that we're, we're not talking about flesh and blood. We're not talking about human enemies, ultimately. But that our, our real, true enemies are the, the spiritual forces of darkness. Even the devil himself. Lining up against the people of God. There's the real danger. Uh, there's the real enemy. And it is fierce. Uh, a spiritual war. Uh, and just so you have a scene, right, that we ourselves face, just like Numbers 22. Uh, God's people, but they're these powerful enemies lining up uh, against us. Now, what is uh, particularly striking to me in this first section of Numbers 22 uh, is that God's people really have no idea what's going on. Right? All that we read about, Israel doesn't know any of this. So here you have this, uh, this conspiracy, you have this weapon of mass destruction that's being hired, and, and God's people, they, they have no clue of any of it. Right? You, can even, you can even picture uh, picture it. You know, there you are, Joe Israelite, Jane Israelite, you're, you're thinking about breakfast, and, and you're just thinking, you know, manna again. And, and you have no idea that just as you're doing that, that, that off, not too far away, this conspiracy is being formed against you. That powerful armies are being lined up. Uh, that, this, that this great spiritual force is being hired uh, to curse you, to destroy you. And you have no clue. You're just thinking about men. And yet this enemy, this threat, uh, is lined up against you. Uh, no clue how deep the danger is. And yet... You, at the very same time, not knowing any of it, are completely safe. That's really the, the, the ultimate point that we see throughout this story of Balaam, is that the God of Israel, the God of his people, uh, is so powerful, uh, is so uh, loving and caring for his people, uh, that even the greatest of the powers of darkness uh, are, are powerless against his people. That even their curses turn into blessings. His care that powerful, that complete. Even against the threats they don't even know about. They don't even know about. Right? And then we can connect it to us, right? God calls us the new Israel. The Israel of God. You're God's people. If you're, if you're trusting in Christ, you're part of this, this people of God. And you have the same God with you. Who cares for you so completely, so powerfully. Uh, that that the, the, the greatest of spiritual threats, yes, even the threats you don't even know about, you're safe from them. You're safe from them. That's probably a really helpful thing next time you begin to worry. So that there's our question of the, of the section. What's your worry? Uh, so maybe you even bring to mind, okay, here's something that I have been worrying about recently. Or something I tend to worry about regularly. And you can bring up that, that worry in your, uh, in your mind. See how this passage speaks so, I think, powerfully uh, to, to that worry and worries like it. Um, one is, of course, it, it, it reminds you that God protects you from even that, even that worry. But, but even think of this. God protects you from even those things you don't even know you should be worrying about. Maybe, maybe put, it, put it this way. Uh, next time you begin to, to be anxious and worry... Uh, preach these two things to your soul, right? Uh, these two things. First, uh, oh my soul, you don't even know the right things to worry about. I don't know about you. 
that's, that's a real challenge to me. You know, as someone who tends to worry, I tend to think, well, at least at least I'm doing something in my words. Like this is this is accomplishing something. You know, to be able to challenge myself and say, you know what, you don't even know the right things to worry about. And two, you follow it up with, and God protects you from those two. The unknown threat. God is that powerful, that good, even under those worries. So, number two, the greedy prophet, and we consider what's your price. The New Testament actually brings up Balaam's name several times, uh, three different times. Two of those times are in the midst of warnings for God's people in our age, and particularly warnings against the way of Balaam uh, and, and, uh, and the, the greedy, selfish heart of Balaam. Uh, that's, that's Jude, that's 2 Peter. Watch out uh, for the, the greed, the way of selfish gain that you see in Balaam. And, and, and so we're encouraged to go to this passage and, and look for Balaam's heart so that we can be warned against it in our, in our own lives. And you got to kind of look carefully, uh, because you, you look at Balaam talk here, and and he, he, he sounds like a, a believer, right? He speaks the name of the Lord. He uses the name Yahweh, right? The Lord in your Bible, all caps, uh, verse 8, for example. That's the divine name, the covenant name for God's people. He uses God's covenant name. Uh, he speaks of the Lord, my God, right? Right, sounds very much like, like a believer. But you kind of look carefully and you start to see Balaam's heart is not right, uh, even though he claims to know the living God. Uh, one, one commentator compares him to, uh, to, a, to a really slick politician. Right? He, he knows just kind of what to say, so he looks good, but you kind of got to pay attention to what he's not saying or what he's doing you know, carefully uh, behind the scenes. So, for example, uh, King Balak... Right, sends these officials. He makes this offer. Right, it's two different offers actually. He comes the first time, uh, and Balaam says, "Okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to talk to God about this." And God gives him a very clear answer after this first first offer. Verse twelve: No, don't go with them. You're not allowed to go with them. Very clear from the Lord. Okay, so the officials go back. Now the king makes an even better offer, right? Greater honor, uh, a greater price. He essentially says. Oh, Balaam, you just name your price, I'll give it to you. And, and notice how Balaam responds, right? God has just said to him uh, very clearly, do not go with them. And now Balaam says, well, in light of this second offer, let me just talk to God again, right? Let me, let me just see if he's maybe changed his mind, right? God's been clear, no, 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 but let me, let me just check in again. Now, it's true that God does allow him to go, um, but it's, it's very clear God is not happy that he goes, right? He knows Balaam's heart is not right in this. Now, we're encouraged perhaps to think, like we've seen in other places in Numbers, uh, that God sometimes gives people what they want uh, by way of judgment, right? We've seen that with Israel in the wilderness, right? You really want it that bad? Okay, I'll let you have the desires of your heart. And that seems to be perhaps something that uh, that God is doing here. You really want to go with them? You want the money and the honor? Okay, I'm going to hold you back uh, from from the actual cursing part of it. Uh, but but I'm going to I'm going to let you go um, and, and see how that works out for you. Essentially, God seems to be saying. But then you also see Balaam's heart sneaking out with what he, for another example, what he chooses not to say. Uh, so he's he's being hired by the king, 
but notice what he never ends up saying to the king or his officials. Right? God is very clear that Balaam will not be able to curse Israel. He will not be able to do it. The very thing he's being hired to do. So he's not going to be able to do the job. But he never actually says that to his employer. Oh, by the way, I really can't do what you're asking me to do. Right? No, he says just enough uh, to, uh, to kind of set himself up that he won't get in trouble, uh, but also shades it enough that he's still going to get the money. Right? He never actually tells them, yeah, I really can't do what you're asking me to do. Uh, so, so you start to see where, where, his, where his heart is. Uh, it's, it's not a heart that's seeking to honor God at every turn. It's a heart that seeks to, how can I work this situation for me? Uh, for what the New Testament calls that, that way of selfish gain, that way of greed. Uh, he, he knew the living God. Uh, he heard from the living God and conversed with the living God. And yet his heart is not really trusting and worshiping the living God. He's trusting and worshiping money and what he can get for himself. Now, we'll see how well this works out for Balaam in just a minute, but for, for now, it's important for us to take to heart that New Testament warning. Watch out for the way of Balaam. That it is very possible uh, to know and name the living God and yet not really be worshiping him and trusting him, but instead worshiping and trusting self. Even using religious things and language uh, to not really worship, but to serve self. Right? And so the Bible encourages us to pray that prayer, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me, that Psalm 139 prayer. Uh, can, can, can you see any, any symptoms of the way of Balaam in, in your own life? Uh, is, is there any part where where you're motivated to, how can I get this for me? How can I spin this situation uh, for what I really want, which is gain for me? Whether it's the greed of, of money or, or greedy for some other kind of earthly treasure. Maybe even, even using religious things. To, how will this kind of work to my advantage? Uh, how, can I, how can I work this speak just enough truth or say just enough of the right words where I can get for, for me. Uh, or we could use that question there in, in that second point, what's your price? Right? Balaam had a price. right? He, the king finally made him an offer that he just couldn't refuse. Right? Oh, I can, name, I can name my price? Okay, in that case, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just work it out. He was willing to he was willing to to compromise, he was willing to turn from God. It just had to, the offer just had to get sweet enough. Uh, and finally, and finally it did. Uh, is, there, is there an offer from the world that you couldn't refuse? A price where, ooh, I'd be tempted by that. Right? And we, it's helpful sometimes to be humbled by that so we can say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, protect me from myself. Uh, Lord, guard me from from this way of, of Balaam. Perhaps it's helpful to mention quickly that one of the applications, one of the key applications that 2 Peter and Jude make of, the, of Balaam is watch out for particularly teachers in the church who are caught up with selfish gain. Uh, that this seems to be a huge temptation in the church age, 
Now, those in positions of authority, those in positions of teaching, preaching authority, uh, might use that position not for the worship of God, but for selfish gain. So it's an encouragement to make that a regular prayer for, for preachers you know, that the Lord would protect them uh, from that heart. And if you ever get in a situation where you can truly say, it looks like pretty clearly that this, this pastor, this preacher is really about his own game, then that's someone you should run from. The way of, the way of Balaam. We're warned against it. But finally you come to uh, Balaam and his donkey. This most hysterical scene that really has a very serious point. Uh, we, could, we could summarize it this way. The seer can't see, and the mighty is powerless. Uh, I liked how one pastor put this, uh, put this particular section. It's the tale of two donkeys. Um, it is. It's a very humorous scene, and the whole point is to humble Balaam. Uh, he's traveling now to King Balak. He's traveling to take up this, this job that he's been hired to do. And there he is. He's riding on his donkey. And, and the angel of the Lord appears uh, on the road in front of Balaam. Uh, standing in the road, we're told, with sword drawn uh, as, as an adversary. Right? So remember, anytime anybody sees an angel of the Lord, uh, it, let alone the one who's called the angel of the Lord, it's terrifying but it's even more terrifying when he has his sword out, right? It's a picture of opposition. It's a picture of judgment uh, waiting to, to fall. In fact, God, uh, the angel even says, if it wasn't for the donkey, I would have killed you. Judgment would have fallen. So three times, here's this angel of the Lord uh, comes before Balaam. Three times, the donkey sees the angel. Uh, three times, the donkey comprehends the danger. Three times, the donkey acts. Uh, to, to protect uh, the Balaam, sparing his life. But three times, Balaam sees nothing. Three times, Balaam abuses his donkey, uh, unable to see what's really going on. Three times, he's unable even to get the donkey to do what he wants. Uh, and, and God even brings home the point by causing the donkey to speak. Of course, that's not a problem for God. He's the creator We've already seen in the Torah where, where God can make an animal talk. Think of, of the serpent in the garden. Uh, and so, it's, of course, God can do that. Again, the point is uh, to humorously but powerfully humble Balaam. Right? And you get this, this hysterical conversation. Right? Haven't I always been good to you, Balaam? The donkey says. Haven't I always served you? Does it really make sense that I would be doing this now to harm you? Doesn't it make more sense, oh great and wise Balaam, that I actually might be doing this to help you? Um, and of course, it's funny to, to picture the conversation, uh, but, but the, the larger uh, humorous but powerful point uh, is, is this. God is humbling uh, the one who has a reputation for being great. Right. So here you have the great and famous Balaam, renowned for his ability as a diviner, as one who has spiritual knowledge and can peer into great mysteries. Uh, here he is, and, well, his donkey can see and understand better than he can. Here you have the great and famous Balaam, uh, renowned for his power, that when he curses, it's cursed, and when he blesses, it's blessed. 
the great and powerful Balaam, renowned for his great spiritual power. And look, he, he can't even get his, his animal to go where he wants. He, he wishes he had a sword in his hand so he could kill the very animal, not realizing that God actually has a sword hanging over his own head. Uh, and the donkey has just actually saved his life. Uh, the seer can't see anything. Uh, the, the mighty one is, is powerless. This one who opposes God, utterly humiliated. And, and, this, and this scene really should encourage us as, as God's people. Right? The, the, the powers of this world, uh, the powers of darkness, right? the, the enemies in, in this age, right? they can seem so big. They can seem so powerful, can't they? And it, and it can get in our, in our heads and in our hearts. We can get fearful of, of what might happen, of what might be, of what seems so big, and get anxious. And this passage comes in and says, well, what we should really do is laugh. Laugh. Laugh at really just how ignorant and impotent are the enemies of God compared with his mighty power. Uh, it's 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 so true that God wants us to well it's laughable uh, right that the mightiest of the mighty and the wisest of the wise of spiritual power is really in God's sight nothing nothing that there is a great hope uh, to in the in the living God and that God will even use to to make this point uh, to us and to the world God will even use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and the weak things to shame the strong. Uh, does that language sound a little bit familiar? All right, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world uh, to shame the strong. Does that language sound familiar? That's, that's 1 Corinthians 1, Paul's language there. And it's a great summary of, of what we're meant to get uh, from this final section of, of, of uh, Balaam's story. Right? The foolish things, the donkey, ends up shaming uh, the, the wisdom of the world. Thing, right? The, the weak things, a, a draft animal, a transportation animal, shames the powerful of, of this world. Right? That's what God does to show just how great he is. Uh, but of course, what 1 Corinthians 1 uses that language to describe, uh, what in context it's all about is is ultimately the gospel, right? Christ crucified. There is the fulfillment uh, of that language. There is the ultimate example of, of the, the, the foolish things uh, shaming the, the wise, uh, the weak things shaming the strong. The ultimate example is not Balaam's donkey, it's Christ's cross. It, isn't that it? That there is, is this... Messiah, Savior King, who, who's dying, dying a shameful, cursed death. That's the, that's the victory and the power of God? Yeah, because look what God's doing. He's using what looks so foolish in the eyes of the world to shame the wise of the things of this age. He's using what looks so weak in the eyes of the world. Uh, to, to shame and bring to nothing the things that might claim to be powerful uh, in this age. There it is, God's ultimate rescue plan. It's not a donkey, it's a cross. 
Uh, and that's exactly what we need. We, we, we need Christ and him crucified. Uh, because, because we are those uh, who have the, the sword of judgment over our head. Right? We're, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, far too like, much like Balaam, aren't we? We're, we're far too much like those who would go after selfish gain if given the opportunity. Uh, far too tempted by it. Far too, even in the midst of religious things, to want to think more about ourselves. We're more like Balaam than we care to admit. And just like Balaam had that sword of God hanging over his head, apart from some rescue, that's, that's all of us. Uh, the, the sword of judgment that we, that we deserve. But here's the, the glorious news of the cross of Christ. Uh, the sword of judgment falls on Jesus and not on us. The sword of judgment falls on Christ and not on us. And that's exactly what we need. That's the way of rescue. The world might think it looks foolish, but it's exactly what we, what we need and what we will get nowhere else. Now, of course, what we need to do is we need to confess our sin and turn from it to this Christ. Uh, we need to confess and turn completely to God, uh, trusting in him alone. It's the very thing that Balaam ultimately fails to do. Uh, uh, Balaam in this episode with the donkey seems to be humbled a bit. Uh, he, he confesses a bit of his sin, but not really. Uh, and, and he's not really, though reined in some, he's not really turning from his sin and turning to the living God. You just keep reading in the story. Uh, he serves God's purpose, is true, but, but ultimately uh, his heart is far, far away from the Lord. Uh, actually, you keep reading in Numbers, and you realize that uh, after this whole uh, scene is over of blessings and curses, Balaam continues to work for the king of, of Moab. In fact, it's Balaam's idea to try another strategy against the people of God, a strategy that actually proves quite effective, uh, a strategy to defeat the people of God, not through armies, but through seduction, uh, through, uh, through immorality, and through idolatry. Uh, we read in chapter 31, that was Balaam's idea. He continues and fails to turn. And ultimately, we read in chapter 31, he dies. It specifically says he was put to death with the sword. Right, The, the, the sword of judgment that was over him, that he was spared from for a time, uh, he never truly uh, turned to the Lord for mercy, uh, turned to the Lord's promises uh, as, as his, in his great need, uh, and he dies by the sword. And, and he, here, too, Balaam's story is a, is a, is a warning uh, that, that we don't want to persist in the way, but we want to confess, uh, confess uh, our sin and turn to the one who bore the, the wrath, the sword of judgment for us. And that is our only hope. And, and that's, that's your task. That's my task, to, to trust in the Lord Jesus. Uh, not in our own our own efforts, uh, and and not in our own strength or power or wisdom, but in what God has done, His His wisdom and His power, even Christ crucified for us. And then trusting in Christ, you see the hope that we have, the great confidence that we have. I mean, that's our that's our question at the end, isn't it? You know, what's your What's your hope? Right? What What is your hope when it comes to your sin and how it's going to be dealt with? Uh, when it comes to your safety and how you will be safe now, tomorrow, for eternity, right? uh, the story of Balaam uh, reminds us afresh to, 
really abandon hope in anything connected to this world. That it can never be the wisdom of this world, the power of this world, can never really be that which ultimately rescues and saves and brings life. It can't be a source of true hope. And so we abandon it. Abandon any any hope in that. Sooner or later, uh, it will be it will be exposed as foolish and impotent. That's 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 what we see. See it here, and it'll be true. It'll be true in our day. Uh, sooner or later, uh, what looks wise and looks strong will end up like Balaam, exposed as ignorant and impotent. So why trust in those things now to save us, uh, to give life, to give hope? But there is one. There is one who is true hope, and there's our strength, there's our, uh, there's our joy, there's a sure hope. Uh, it's, it's this God, uh, with this mighty plan, Christ crucified. Oh, it looks, it looks foolish, it, it looks weak, but it is the very power of God uh, to accomplish what we, bear, what we desperately need, rescue from ourselves, and fullness of life, all right? Protected from every threat. If you're in Christ, then there is no power of this world, uh, that any threat of this world, any conspiracy uh, of, of today or tomorrow that could ever harm you. Right? Because this same God watches over you. Yeah, even over those things that you don't even know you should be worrying about. You don't even know are threats. Yeah, God's got that too. Uh, and if you're in Him, you're safe. Right? There's your rock-solid hope. For sin, uh, for safety, uh, for life, all the way through the wilderness of this world, all the way into the promised land. Uh, into the land where, uh, that heavenly land where ultimately, well, we won't need faith and hope anymore. Because faith will be sight. And hope will be realized. And we long for that day. Uh, but as we wait, we can know in Christ, safe, uh, life, even joy in him. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would show us the greatness of the Savior. Lord, show us the, the greatness of your love and care for your people, that that would be our strength and our song uh, each this day and every day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.